Kia ora, I'm Emil Donovan, and today on The Detail, last year, marching into the great unknown of COVID-19, New Zealand's government made a decision. In the past hour, the government has unveiled the beginnings of a business rescue package, which will include a wage subsidy scheme for those affected by the economic downturn brought by COVID-19. It costs $13 billion and it saved a lot of jobs, but it was also somewhat abused by some firms who took the subsidy when they didn't need it. The Briscoes Group believes it was justified in taking the government wage subsidy but says it's now paid back all $11.5 million of it. We had no stores open whatsoever and it was exactly the right thing to do to apply. That was the government's intent and we're very grateful for them but that was the right thing to do. Now, more than a year later, the wage subsidy is back in a new more nuanced form. The wage subsidy bill for the latest lockdown reaches $2.5 billion. The support has been a lifeline for thousands of businesses, but as the struggle to operate continues, some say the government messages to hang in there are wearing a bit thin. So what's different this time around? Why have changes been made when the first rollout was widely lauded by employers and employees for its comprehensiveness and its speed? And with fewer firms qualifying for government support, are we likely to see an avalanche of insolvencies as companies propped up by the public dollar decide to raise the white flag? Peter Vile is the group head of Chartered Accountants Australia and New Zealand. I began by asking him to explain how the original wage subsidy worked, the one that ran in early to mid last year. The wage subsidy was introduced uh, right at the beginning of uh, our first lockdown back in March, April last year, and it was uh, pretty much a very high trust model. So the government uh, decided that it needed to support businesses very quickly um, or employers very quickly uh, to keep people connected to their employers, to keep people in employment uh, while businesses were closed because of a lockdown. So it introduced uh, the wage subsidy, the first iteration of the wage subsidy, uh, which, as I said, was a high-trust model. It was very simple to apply for the subsidy, and the money was pushed out the door uh, very quickly, uh, and that was deliberate government policy. So I think something like $13 billion was paid out in the wage subsidy in 2020 uh, to hundreds of thousands of businesses to keep them... Uh, afloat and to keep them employing their their staff during those lockdowns. So how, back then, how did a business qualify for the wage subsidy? So the application was relatively straightforward and it required a business to prove, or a business could apply on the basis that it would have a projected decline in revenue uh, due to COVID restrictions. So it was very much on the basis of the forecast revenue that the business would uh, have and the decline in that uh, compared to a a pre-COVID period. The initial wage subsidy was available from about the 27th of March until the 9th of June. When another outbreak of COVID was discovered in Auckland in August last year, it was brought back for two weeks from the 21st of August until the 3rd of September. But this current outbreak is a bit different. Earlier incarnations of the wage subsidy were a bit of a lolly scramble, but this one is maybe better characterised as based on a nutritional plan. So what's changed now, Emil, I think importantly, is that the application 
form itself has become much more comprehensive. And whereas last year there was a very simple declaration for a, an employer to make, this year the declaration runs to four pages and there's a, an additional page of footnotes. Um, so the employer is declaring much more than they were last year. And one of the key changes is that the employer is now um, undertaking in that declaration that they will repay the wage subsidy should they not um, have the projected decline in, in revenue that they've forecast. You, you have to meet a 40% decline in revenue. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the declaration form now is very clear that if you don't meet that projected decline, then you must repay the subsidy. Last year, the declaration, I think in the very first iteration of the wage subsidy, the declaration would have run to a couple of sentences, nothing more than that. And now, as I say, it's much more comprehensive um, and there, a lot more scrutiny will be applied to it. There's still a degree of trust, but we're not in the same sort of high trust model as we were last year. Part of the reason for this is, well, sometimes that high trust was broken. A former Christchurch businessman turned philanthropist estimates $5 billion has been paid out in wage subsidies to companies that don't necessarily need it. Some of the biggest claims in the real estate industry were from the biggest players, Barford and Thompson receiving more than $4 million for 600 employees. And while many of those employees met the wage subsidy criteria of a predicted or experienced 30% drop in revenue, the fears about a tanking housing market never eventuated. Barford and Thompson's made some minor repayments to its $4 million take. Last year it repaid $5,272.20 relating to staffing changes or 0.13% of its total take. But the wage subsidy 2.0 isn't just harder to get. There are new components this time around too, like the resurgence support payment. So the resurgence support payment is uh, there to support businesses who've got issues in paying their, their fixed costs, so their their rentals, their rates, you know, their power, all of those kind of fixed costs. So that's a, a new payment that was introduced. So the wage subsidy focuses on, on employers, retaining their employees, keeping their employees in uh, jobs, whereas the resurgent support payment is to support businesses that are struggling to meet their fixed costs. You can get both at the same time, so you, a business can get a, a wage subsidy and a resurgent support payment. The resurgent support payment requires a 30% reduction in revenue, whereas the wage subsidy requires a 40% reduction, so there's different criteria. The Inland Revenue administers the resurgent support payment, whereas MSD, Ministry of Social Development, is the wage subsidy uh, provider. So there are those nuances and, and differences, but the key thing for businesses is, is that you can access both. Mm. And I, th I think for, you know, there are small businesses and sole traders who, who don't employ anyone um, other than themselves, but they will have some very definite fixed costs that if they can't run their business because the economy is locked down, then they will need that uh, support to cover fixed costs. Can you give me an example of, of the sorts of businesses that are targeted by that resurgent support payment? Well, any business with fixed costs where they've had a downturn of 30% in their revenue, so it is open to small, medium and large businesses, but there, as I say, there are small businesses that don't have employees other than the, um, the shareholder employee or the owner, so they would have you know, limited support from the wage subsidy, whereas they can get some support through the resurgent support payment. Um, so you know, all businesses have fixed costs. Whether they've had a 30% decline 
is the question, um, whether they're eligible for the resurgent support payment. The, um, interestingly, the resurgent support payment is linked, well, it's calculated, uh, there's, a, there's a fixed component and then there's an additional component based on the number of employees that, that, that you have, but there is that initial fixed component which means you don't have to have any employees. So um, it's, it's a really useful package. As, as I said before, it's 500 million was paid out in the first, in the resurgent support payment in the first month uh, since the, uh, the latest lockdowns in mid-August of this year. What function did that high trust model seek to, seek to perform and do you think that it did a good job of that? I think personally, um, Anil, that it did a very good job of it. it. It got a lot of government money into the pockets of business to be able to keep their employees employed um, during, you know, what was a, you know, a, a crisis. Uh, and it is continuing to do that. Although the rules have tightened up, um, the government, and between uh, mid-August and mid-September, so mid-August when we had our 2020, 2021 lockdown across the country. Then in that first month of the wage, of the new wage subsidy, the government had paid out 1.8 billion in the wage subsidy and a further 500 million in what's called the resurgent support payment. So that's another 2.3 billion injected by the government into the economy, into employers to keep uh, their staff on board. Um, and there will have been, of course, further expenditure since mid-September. And in fact, I think Grant Robertson has today announced that the the fourth round of the current wage subsidy opens for applications on Friday um, and it will cover the period through till the 14th of October, the next fortnight. So that's the fourth round this time. So the government is still pushing a lot of money out the door into the economy. Um, The number of applicants in that period from mid-August to mid-September was over 400,000. Over 90% of them were paid out within, of the applications were paid out within three days. And I think the the 10% where they, and there have been some issues covered by the media in terms of businesses waiting to receive their applications. I think a lot of the businesses that didn't uh, get paid out within three days were sole traders, and the issue for them was that uh, often the the information they were providing in their applications didn't match that that was held by, by inland revenue. So employers were being encouraged by government to make sure that their their information was consistent. But an awful lot of money again out the door quickly, um, but tighter rules about um, eligibility. And that is, I think, as you'd expect, as as government and business have got um, more used to living with and working with the pandemic and what support is available from government. The interesting thing for me today is that Grant Robertson has, has indicated that they will be doing further work on tailored more specific support, for example, for the hospitality sector. Restaurants, bars, eateries and other dining venues across much of the country opened their doors for customers for the first weekend in a month. Making anything like their usual profits, however, will be no piece of cake. These are very complex businesses to run, uh, restaurants. You know, we're, a, we're a just-in-time manufacturing business. We need lots of staff to, to make the sauces and the stocks and to, and to prepare fresh fruit every day. Um, and the resurgence, while it all helps, is, is just a bit of a, um, you know, it's nice to have, but uh, it's certainly not enough to uh, keep a lot of businesses viable. So I think that would be very welcome, um, that, that that sector is really under pressure, and it would be good to see some specific support for that sector and and tourism perhaps more widely. But I think the other thing that's changed, last year 
quite a few large businesses, in fact some very large businesses applied for the wage subsidy and I think the evidence to date for this year is that um, far fewer large businesses are applying um, and that'll be for a variety of reasons. One would be the scrutiny that's been applied to some of those large businesses. There is a, a public register of applications or applicants and amounts that have been paid out. The Auditor-General wants the Ministry for Social Development to crack down on businesses that got the wage subsidy and didn't need it. A spokesman, David Press, says while steps were taken to ensure businesses were eligible, the checks that have been done afterwards were cursory. So MSD has done uh, in the order of around 7,000 of these reviews, and the reviews largely have relied on talking with people about their situation, asking them whether they are eligible for the scheme and whether they've complied with the obligations that go with receiving the money in the scheme. And the issue that we've raised is that those checks have been largely verbal. They haven't uh, involved actual documents that provide proof. There have been no prosecutions so far linked to the scheme. So uh, media and the public can, can access that public register and look up businesses and, and to see who's got what. So there's that public scrutiny. Um, so there's a focus on the sort of social licence to operate. And some of the businesses that applied last year uh, you know, they were, even the large businesses, we were in a, a crisis situation. No one knew what the effect of the lockdown would be. Um, there was avail- money support available from the government and therefore inevitably uh, businesses, as they should, applied for it. As it turned out, some of those businesses, and this is good news, didn't do as badly as they were expecting. And they also pivoted in terms of the the way they work, retailers have moved to, you know, some retailers have been able to um, make reasonable sales online. So there's all that agility illustrated by the business sector and, and that has again affected the types of businesses and the size of businesses that will apply for for, for that sort of government support. This is, all, this is very interesting. So was, is it sort of a situation where last year we didn't really know what we were heading into and we didn't know how it would affect employers. And so the government sort of adopted this position of it's going to be expensive, but we're essentially going to put very few barriers in between businesses and business support. And it was expensive, but it achieved its goal of keeping people employed and keeping firms solvent. This year... We have prior experience. We know a bit about how a level four lockdown affects the economy. And so there are more barriers in between businesses and business support because they want to target that support better to businesses that need it the most. Is that pretty much the situation? I think you've summed it up very well there, Neil. So you're you're right. The the great unknown last year, this year, much more known about how a lock to the effect of a lockdown, and how businesses can um, deal or or work during a lockdown, and which businesses are most most more affected than others. So there's definitely that 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 experience that's helped, um, and there is that you know the fact that there's public scrutiny um, that. As I said, that businesses have also pivoted. Um, so the government, you know, it's kind of a natural progression in, in the, the way that government support is provided. We, we all know a lot more about it now, both the government giving it out and, and the businesses that are receiving it. Peter, do you think it's fair to say that, you know, wage subsidy 1.0 was almost designed at stopping firms from going under and was relatively successful? Um, in that sort of ambition, but that this more tightly controlled, um, 
higher bar for accessing that wage subsidy will have the inevitable consequence of more firms shutting up shop? No, I don't know that you can necessarily draw a causal link there, Emil. I think, you know, lots of businesses were prevented from going under last year with the wage subsidy. There will be some this year who um, the wage subsidy is absolutely critical for them for their survival. I think the government has made it clear that it is very keen to support businesses through the lockdowns, but it can't pay all of every business's costs and it can't um, keep every business viable. That means there will be casualties. Um, I, I think that's inevitable. It's very unfortunate. Um, but I think uh, that, that the government, and I don't think taxpayers would expect the government to keep every business alive. Um, interestingly, uh, last year there was a real fall off in the number of insolvencies of businesses, and uh, that would be largely attributable to the fact that there was all this government support available. Um, so that, that was keeping businesses alive that may have otherwise failed regardless of, of COVID, you know, outside of COVID context. So, you know, the government support is, is, is taxpayer money that's being uh, dished out here. So I think taxpayers would expect um, government to have a degree of robustness around the rules and a degree of review of the recipients. I, I, I think that's a, a public expectation. The, um, the point that you're making about insolvencies was an interesting one that I want to pick up on as well. So insolvencies last year were, uh, there were many fewer insolvencies than we would have expected last year, you said. So, I mean, would you expect that to sort of, because there has been talk, I've noticed, of, you know, like a cliff of insolvencies as we move down alert levels. Would you expect something like that to happen for insolvencies to pick up as we move down alert levels and it becomes clear that some businesses are viable and some are not? I think that's probably right. I mean, I think that as government support eases off as we come down through the levels, uh, and let's hope we do come down through those levels, I think an, an inevitable consequence will be without government support that there will be more insolvencies. We'd be back to a you know, the sort of level of insolvency we would have in a, in a inverted commas, normal year, a non-COVID period. Mm. Are you pretty happy, by and large, with how things have been executed by this government? Could things be better? Could things have been done better? Or is this one of those situations where we've marched into the void, into the great unknown, into the desert, we've adapted as things have sort of come up, and by and large, things have and are working pretty well? And then in terms of government support, I would say yes. I think the government, in my view, has shown itself to be pretty agile and pretty quick off the mark in, in launching government support packages. I think other, you know, many people would have a different view in terms of perhaps the vaccination rollout or, uh, you know, than the agility or, or perhaps lack of agility with that in the early stages. But I, I think, um, from my personal perspective and what I can see, the in terms of the government support packages, they were well done. Um, I can also compare them. Uh, for, I'm, I'm the New Zealand head of a, of a trans-Tasman professional body, and I have a bit of an idea about what, how the support has rolled, been rolled out in Australia. And it's been much more complex, I would say, in Australia in terms of application and eligibility and so on. Um, I think with the wage subsidy is still relatively simple. It's still relatively easy to apply for. Most applicants are receiving the payments within a, a short period of time, some even on the same day of application. So 
I think largely it, it has been um, good and effective. There are some complexities when you always when you get into the boundary areas and the the perimeter issues. There there are peripheral issues. There are some complexities, um, but on the whole, I would commend the government on an agile and rapid and, and reasonably efficient response. But I think there's another thing I'd, I'd be keen to talk about. I think it's really important for businesses and business owners to to think not only about eligibility in a purely legal sense, but also about to, to apply an ethical lens to any form of government support and in terms of when they apply. So there's meeting the legal requirements and there's also doing the right thing. Is this the right thing to do in seeking government support? And the resurgence support payment and the question about fixed costs is an interesting one because I could give you an example, say, of a, of a business, a small business where they rent their premises and their landlord, and some landlords have done this, might have given them a rent holiday or a rent concession. Okay. In that case, their fixed costs are really you know, going right down. So uh, it wouldn't be the right thing to do, in my view, uh, ethically to apply for the resurgence support payment, which is there to support businesses that have had impact on their fixed costs. Always think about the policy intent of these support mechanisms. You know, they're there to, to the wage subsidies there to keep people employed, and the, the resurgent support payment is to cover fixed costs. For our profession, certainly for any profession with a code of ethics, there's definitely a requirement for an ethical lens to be applied. That's it for today. I'm Emile Bonovan. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansel and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Peter Vile. Matewa.